Hello, Erica. Hello again, Stephen. <laughs> it was your idea to press on with the arc. Yeah, I just wanted to watch some more Doctor Who. It was fun, so I figured let's keep doing it. What enticed you? Was it the moving images? Was it the uh, uh, new story? Because I know how you like be- beginnings. I mean, what was it? I think it was just the, the inertia, like just rolling on forward. Mm-hmm. It's, it's exciting. I don't think it would have made a difference if it had been a recon or something else. I'm glad you uh, agreed, suggested to watch the second episode because the arc is very interestingly structured to have basically a two-part story followed by another two-part story. And so we watched the first two parts of the arc, The Steel Sky and The Plague. Mm-hmm. What'd you think? Oh, I enjoyed it. Yes, I haven't I haven't seen this one. I really feel like the, the visual of a monoid is something that if I had seen this as a kid... I would have remembered. Mm. That would have stuck in my head, and I had no memory of it. I think the first time I ever saw a picture of a monoid or, or a drawing of one was within the last, I don't know, year or two. Like, I'd heard of monoids, and I knew of this story and kind of, you know, how it how it played out about Dodo's cold and, and them coming back later and the statue reveal and all that stuff. So none of that was a surprise, but I... I didn't know what the monoids looked like until not terribly long ago. And this is the first time I've ever actually seen one moving. So, yeah. <laughs> and low did they move with basically them wearing um, fabric down to their ankles. So they sort of had to waddle along when they walked. Mm-hmm. Uh, a qualification, a characteristic that has been much mocked in Doctor Who fandom since then. What did you think of that? Oh, that didn't bother me. Oh no, I thought it was fine. That's I, honestly, I thought that made them feel feel like they were more alien mm-hmm. because they're not supposed to be human. They're they're very different. So, I thought the moving in a more alien fashion made perfect sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what else about this dodo? So yeah, remember last episode we talked about how um, we would look at the dodo Stephen relationship mm-hmm. as one of a grandparent or great grandparent mm-hmm. in terms of Stephen to Dodo mm-hmm. and then of course the very first scene of the episode when Dodo runs out of the TARDIS and who's running after her? It's Stephen he's he's basically you know he might as well be saying you take a jacket young lady mm-hmm. like he's just he's he's you know and to be honest he has a very good reason because he knows that they could be on a very dangerous planet and not earth and she's new enough that she doesn't really understand how this TARDIS travel works and seems to be kind of like I don't know what the deal is with her if she's a little just not tied to the real world or if she's a little simple or what the deal is because she just doesn't seem to get it even when she like learns about it it's like oh that's cool I don't know. Dodo is kind of maligned in Doctor Who fandom, and so far I haven't seen any reason that that's incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> well, you notice that what she, her mode of speech, mm-hmm. she says, oh, fab, mm-hmm. um, and like gear, oh, you know. And okay, which apparently the doctor's not okay with. <laughs> Terrible. All this, these new language that these kids from 1966 are talking about. Did you notice that her accent in the episode four of the massacre was, uh, I think, Cockney, um, mm-hmm. and they originally had intended her to be Cockney, and so the script is indicating that. But the BBC superior says, "Oh no, no, no! We must only speak the Queen's English on the BBC," and so they toned her accent down, mm-hmm. um, despite because the film segment. I'm just trying to think of how these things are arranged. I think by the time that they 
never mind, because they'd filmed her first scene in the TARDIS the week before, and she was talking all funny like. <laughs> and then this probably was filmed probably that same week, oddly enough. So that's why like some of the dialogue is still like with that mm-hmm. um, accent in mind before they sort of adjusted it for the um, for the studio episodes. Anyway production yeah inconsistent so yep. i think my uh my hand wavy headcanon for that is just that dodo is not quite right in the head she's i i my headcanon is that uh you remember when dodo rushed into the tardis mm-hmm. and she said that there had been an accident and there's a young boy that had been hurt i think she was in the accident too and i think that she got hit on the head it's getting really dark <laughs> I'm just saying she got hit on the head and had quite a bump to the noggin. Mm -hmm. And that is why her accent is changing uh, time to time. She had some, you know, maybe not permanent brain damage, but some brain damage. And it also maybe explains why she is so sort of cheerily blasé about the time travel and the idea of the TARDIS yeah, not ever being able to take her home and all that stuff. You, uh, you have, you have hit upon some symptoms of what you think is perhaps brain damage. Uh, if you look, though, it's made in 1966 when uh, her and youngsters and the Beatles all got into a little thing called LSD, and I think that's your reason why Dodo was pretty blase about everything. I like this better. <clears throat> It's like, definitely the the LSD okay, idea. Good. Yeah, it's it's better than better than brain damage. So it would also explain her weird <laughs> LSD better than brain damage, <laughs> unless it's the LSD that caused some brain damage. True. Um, no, man, it's just mind expanding. Yeah. But that would also explain her weird choice of clothing. If she was just high good, as a kite. Good point. Like, why would you wander in and think, yeah, let's dress like the Crusades, man. Let's just okay. let's just dig it. Let's just dig. Yeah. Okay. I think I like this. We have we've come up with all kinds of great dodo continuity here. Mm-hmm. She's the great great grandchild of Stephen, yep. who basically treats her as such. You know, trying to trying to keep her safe and keep her from doing anything ridiculous. Well, she is just you know gooned out of her mind <laughs> on whatever kind of stuff she was she was doing. I mean, if it was LSD, that that trip can last for a good eight hours. Mm-hmm. Um, so that explains, you know, her accent changing, her voice changing, her yep. just sort of being la 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 about everything. So if she continues to be la 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 about everything, then I don't know. Although she did, did she have a bag with her? Or she was at least wearing a coat. So she could have had quite a few tabs of LSD. Maybe she was a pusher. So she, she had enough to keep her going for the rest of her time in the TARDIS. She did. Oh, a coat with her when she came to the TARDIS. I think this. Yeah, she did have a coat, I think. Pockets? Possibly with pockets. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, if she continues to be weird, I need some sort of headcanon to uh, to make that happen. And you know, LSD tabs are not that big; they're they're little, mm-hmm. or so I am told. Learned along about LSD tonight. <laughs> yeah. Um, another interesting thing when you look at that uh, the scene where Stephen is following Dodo out of the TARDIS. Uh, it's Dodo who is sort of saying, oh, I know where this is. It's the zoo in mm-hmm. Whistney. I can't remember what she said. Um, and this, and Stephen's saying, oh, how do you know that? It could be it could be anywhere. It could be a different planet or anything. And then you look back at his first time outside <laughs> of the TARDIS with Vicky. He thinks it's present day. And Vicky mm-hmm. is telling 
am that it, it's mm. probably 1066 or something like that. Oh, yeah, I hadn't thought of that, but that is really a nice, a nice little symmetrical callback. He is, he's getting a taste of his own medicine, which is just, that's fair. Mm-hmm. I don't know how much of that actually carried over because Jerry Davis is now the story editor. Donald Tosh having more or less moved on, uh, probably at this point writing the next story, oddly enough. Um, but John Wiles is still there producing his last story because there's, there's, there's a change. There's more changes a coming. Mm-hmm. Not only is the swinging '60s and their LSD uh, <laughs> infesting the TARDIS and and William Hartnell's uh, um, view of life, but uh, but behind the scenes um, things are moving and shaking right now. Behind the scenes, by the way, Michael Imason is the director of this for his one and only um, uh, entrance into the Doctor Who canon. I this is why I like this this story so much is because it looks so different and the sets are big and they have that crazy like video inlay effect mm-hmm. for the screens which are like break you know crazy technology for back then mm-hmm. yeah it is gorgeous I really like the sets I was I, after watching the or after watching the recon of the last one in the massacre and thinking how you know it's I think it's just still stellar even without the pictures we started watching this and I was thinking oh my god this would be terrible if we couldn't see it imagine if all we could do is just hear what they're saying mm-hmm. and hear a bunch of random you know scampering noise in the in the jungle while the camera just pans around and you know not a lot is happening except a monoid is shuffling around i just yeah thank goodness we have the pictures to look at because they are a huge part of what is uh of what is keeping things moving along i do think that the story is interesting but i don't think that there's quite enough you know there's not enough talky talky to make it interesting without the visuals i know it, it makes me think like imagine if this story had been lost and then found and a lot of people sort of like had been listening to it mm-hmm. the recon and maybe seeing like some you know there were no telesnaps john wiles era um and so no one really would have known what it looked like apart from a few of the um there are a few um publicity stills and stuff but you don't get a full you know scale uh, of the sets that doesn't really factor in <clears throat> so it'll be, it would have been interesting in a way it'd be kind of cool to I think in a way I sort of think that you should be required to listen to a Doctor Who story <laughs> before you actually watch it just to appreciate it that is ridiculous it's adorable but ridiculous uh-huh. this episode by the way I think went over budget and over time mm-hmm. during a couple of the things and so Michael Imason was actually fired um, towards the end of the last uh, episode production, she was fired basically, and it says, "You know, finish out the episode, but you are done at the BBC because yeah, there were there were issues. Um, I don't know if there are arguments. I think it was mostly due to budget and everything like that. But um, but I think it paid off. It looks great. <laughs> yeah, good job, good job, guys. Sorry, it meant you got fired. Yeah, uh, this episode was written by another uh, solo person. No. One person, one timer, we'll call it, uh, Paul Erickson and Leslie Scott. You asked me questions when this when that popped up on the screen. Yes, let's let's recreate that. I, yeah. I said, uh, is is Leslie Scott a woman? Yes. Um, is Leslie Scott a real person? Ye- oh no! Wait. Your your first question was if he's a man. Ask it again. Okay. Oh, is Leslie Scott a man? No. Is Leslie Scott a real person? Yes. Did Leslie Scott actually write this story? 
No. <laughs> okay, there we go. That's This is what happened. Yeah, Leslie Scott was Paul Erickson's girlfriend at the time and a uh, burgeoning writer in her own right. And so Paul Erickson decided to add her name to the script so that she would have a writing credit basically on her resume. But no, she didn't actually get anywhere close to the script. So there, a woman was credited with writing an episode before she actually wrote one, as opposed to the other way around. How do we know that she didn't actually have something to do with this one? Is there is there actual proof of that? Or I think I think so. I think Paul Erickson had actually appeared on... There used to be a YouTube account. It's been taken down perhaps because of um, copyright violations, which is a shame, because it was called Doctor Who Conventions, and it had a bunch of panels from like panopticon conventions in the uk in the like the 19 like 85 and like william m's who wrote galaxy 4 was still alive and was on there and like and paul erickson was there and so i think he you know he basically told the story then that's why people know that it wasn't she wasn't actually involved in it okay yeah just i'm just just wondering if that was you know another indicate another uh example of a, a woman back in the, those days being discredited by somebody who didn't actually know the real deal oh like dc fontana is there a story behind that dc fontana is a, a woman but she that wasn't necessarily known at the time i don't know the story of dc fontana she wrote for star trek so right yeah and she actually wrote for star trek yeah. like a lot mm-hmm. but didn't people not know like did she choose dc fontana so she appeared that she was a man and therefore got writing jobs in that troubled time that there was? You know, I, history? I actually don't know any of the history about that, but I would not be surprised. Like, I think about, you know, Andre Norton was one of my favorite writers when I was growing up. You know, science fiction stories about spaceships and aliens and, you know, shoot 'em up stuff. Mm-hmm. And didn't know for quite a while that Andre Norton was a woman. She also wrote uh, as Andrew North, actually, for a while. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. One thing I forgot to mention last episode about William Hartnell is that, you know, the the stories go, oh, he's ill and he's forgetting all those lines and everything. But you look at his performance there and he's pretty bang on. It's a doctor. And, you know, his little mannerisms, his little, <laughs> you know, his little stumbling over lines when he's the abbot of Amboise, it wasn't there at all. And so... With that in mind, I was keen to sort of watch what he was doing in this because I know he doesn't have any um, vacations or and he's not really written out of any episodes. But then you sort of see that he's kind of cooped up in one room for a while and Stephen's still kind of carrying the action. But what do you think of William Hartnell? And you sort of scoffed at the doctor in one scene for some reason. I can't remember why. Oh, it was... Oh, yeah, it was when he just basically disregarded everything that they had told him. You know, the the thing was, okay, we're not going to kill you. We're not going to shoot you out into space. Uh, instead, what we're going to do is we're going to let you have Stephen be your guinea pig. And if he gets better, then you can give that treatment to everybody else and we'll let you live. Instead, he gives Stephen the treatment and immediately just scampers off to give the treatment to everybody else, which... A is I, I'm just like doctor really like you're you're honestly going to try to get away with that but then it's like they let him get away with that <laughs> so I just kind of lost respect for both sides of that of that coin there because I was like no oh, that's just dumb there's no good reason for it there's none maybe not everyone was as hawkish as Zentos so the fresh maker yeah but he wasn't even the one nice though by the way Thank the fresh maker he wasn't the one who made this decree it was the he was the the good old fellow who's the the dad of the pretty girl That's who true. who decreed that so i mean i feel like 
plus considering the fact that everybody was ready to just just you know shoot him out of the ship I'm surprised that anybody would let him not only did he treat the people that were sick but he immunized everybody else so all these people who were about to throw him out into the vacuum of hard space mm-hmm. suddenly they're letting him like poke poke them with you know needles or not actually they don't use needles because those went out a long time ago but those little discs and things before there's any proof that this isn't going to kill them like they that's just it's dumb the human race at this point kind of deserves to just get wiped out because that's just dumb (laughs) i'd like to uh contend that this is probably the b arc um (laughs) and the a and the c arc are shot off somewhere else to the actual planet probably refuses one uh the real planet whereas refuses two is just a dusty old rock that um it's Mm -hmm. going to be crashed into yeah and then there was one quick sequence which i didn't understand at all where there was just a shot of some sort of like weird asteroid flying by outside the window and i didn't know what that was that was earth Oh, that was Earth? Yeah, I can remember they referred to it at the, at the uh, in episode one. See, there's Earth. They have a picture of Earth. They have a live satellite feed, you know, GoPro camera on the moon. They can see Earth all the time. Got it. It wasn't that, I know, it wasn't that, um, and so, and then at the end it goes, oh, look, our planet's blown up. And so that planet, of course, will be um, uh, reborn and recreated as a second Earth to be blown up again at the end of um, the end of the world in 2005 remember because they mm-hmm. it's a that's a that's a vintage earth remember they recreate earth in that and then they have satellite five satellite five Mm-mm. the space station anyway where everybody watches it burn basically right yeah so that wasn't actually the planet that rose's parents and everything were on uh no i'm trying to think end of the world because I remember the doctor saying, you're looking at a vintage Earth, or they, I think they rebuilt it or something, didn't they? Or No, they moved the planet. So yes, basically, it is the same planet. They moved, the, moved all the continents back, made it retro mm. in the year 5 billion Apple stroke mm-hmm. 3, 4, uh, a.k.a. the 57th segment of time. So when we see the Earth go across the screen burning mm-hmm. up, at that exact moment, the ninth doctor is somewhere on a neighboring spaceship trying to save um, Rose and the rest of them. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Well. So, so technically we saw a multi-doctor episode. I guess so. Although this doctor, the first doctor, says we must have traveled at least 10 million years. Well, he maybe he was guessing. Which, you know, it's true. It, at least 10 million years. Yeah. It was. Oh, he's way he's off. Way off, yep. They didn't know how to count that high in 1966. Jeez, shut up. (laughs) They hadn't invented those numbers yet. Well, they hadn't invented the stroke apple. Okay, that's fair. I'm sure they hadn't. They they probably reconfigured the the years as well. So that five billion thing, maybe that was like, you know what? It sounds better. Five billion stroke apple stroke 12 Mm -hmm. or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to to see what happens next because I know a little bit about this, but not not a lot not as much as i kind of thought i did i was thinking that this reveal happened at the beginning of episode two and that there was only one episode in the earlier time and three episodes in the later time i don't know why i was thinking that but uh yeah so i'm i'm interested to see how this plays out because i had the impression that there was like that the monoids were like a slave race to start with and i haven't gotten that impression Mm -hmm. um i mean they're certainly quiet and they seem somewhat subservient so i don't know maybe but that wasn't if that's supposed to be the deal it was not made clear enough for my taste 
I'm not going to say anything. Mm-hmm. I will say that. Imagine if you're watching this in 1966 and you just think, of, do, 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 do. oh, wow, I guess that's it for this this one. They solved it. Oh, mm-hmm. it seemed to be a shorter one. And all of a sudden, they zip, they'd land back at the same place. Kind of a cool cliffhanger for people who don't know what's coming next. That's true. I do always forget that back in these days, you didn't know how many episodes each story was going to have. So how exciting would this have been? To You, you might have known. They might have set a four-part serial or something like that. But that wasn't exactly you know mm-hmm. widely known. I didn't say part one or part two on the end of the mm-hmm. credits or anything like that. So yeah, it was probably a, a mystery for a lot of people who watched it going in. Cool. Yeah. Neat. Uh, all right, then. No guarantees that the arc will follow tonight. That's a lot of... Do- I've watched five episodes of Doctor mm-hmm. Who tonight. Maybe we should watch Midsummer Murders and drink some Baileys. I like this idea. <laughs> so, But uh, I like that we're back on the uh, classic Doctor Who wagon. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see here. Let's think a little bit. Because this weekend's L.I. Who, and a lot of people are at L.I. Who, who we know. Mm-hmm. But we'll be at Chicago TARDIS in a couple weeks' time. And we usually try to do an episode of uh, Lazy Doctor Who at a convention. I'm not sure if we'll squeeze one in because we're usually kind of busy at Chicago TARDIS. But. Yeah, but uh, you never know. It, it's possible. Mm-hmm. Chicago TARDIS sometimes has lulls in a way that Galley doesn't for us because Galley has a lot more people that we know personally. Where Chicago, Chicago TARDIS has a lot of people but not as many people that we know. Although that grows every year. Yeah. Sunday night, everyone goes home because mm-hmm. it's not a long weekend like Elias. So mm-hmm. maybe on the Sunday night, we'll squeeze in an episode. But I think we'll get to the arc before that. So who knows what we'll be watching uh, by the time Chicago Tardis rolls around. Yeah. And yeah, if you're going to be at Chicago Tardis, please come and find us and say hello. Absolutely. All right. Is that it for this one? Yeah, I think so. This was good. Okay. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.